Welcome. Welcome back from Costa Rica. Welcome back from travels all over the place. Welcome to everybody. Um, It's really um, wonderful for you to make the effort to come here and to practice together. Um, It's lonely here during the week. Uh, Sitting by myself, and though I'm sitting with all beings all the time, it's uh, it's nice to sit with these beings. (laughs) So um, it's wonderful to see you all and to be able to sit together. Um, I'm getting a lot of uh, good material for Dharma Talks from our Wednesday evening book study, and I keep referring back to this wonderful, uh, small but very lively and penetrating group of people. And um, one of the issues that is one of the uh, emotional states um, that is associated with Buddhist practice, particularly today, uh, is compassion. And that's become a kind of buzzword. People are talking about compassion a lot. And kindness, even the Dalai Lama uh, has been known to say that my religion is kindness. And that has a lot to do with the uh, feeling of connectedness, of our interconnectedness, so that when anyone is suffering in any way, any being, as a matter of fact, and Judy is often known to dedicate her practice to moles and cats and (laughs) all other kinds of beings, deer that are uh, roadkill or... Um, so any any form of suffering in in uh, in our world is a source for our compassionate response. However, in in Zen practice, there are two wings to our practice. Compassion is one of those wings, but wisdom is the other wing. So we cannot fly without both of those wings. Karuna, the Sanskrit that I have down on the eraser board, compassion, and prajna, which is wisdom. And we've often chanted the prajna paramita hiradaya sutra, which is the wisdom beyond wisdom sutra, which is the core of Buddhist philosophy. So the story that occurred to me on Wednesday was, and I think we shared this story, was the story of a biologist who was in South Africa. And she she was a field biologist, um, and she was wandering the uh, woods and deserts and discovered on one of her wanderings a cocoon on the ground. And looking down at this cocoon, she she could see that there was a struggle going on, that the cocoon was a very, very active and um, 
pulsing and moving in and out and clearly something was about to transpire and watching this struggle her natural impulse was to help to help what was ever whatever was going to be emerging from that cocoon to help it help it be liberated so she bent down and gently opened the cocoon and sure enough the the uh, critter that was in there happened to be a butterfly and the butterfly emerged and flapped its wings a few times and then died and that was a profound lesson for this biologist who clearly had the knowledge of the life cycle of a butterfly but did not have the wisdom in this particular instance to know what was needed so sometimes compassion isn't enough it actually can interfere with the relief of suffering because sometimes like in the case of this butterfly the being this butterfly needed to struggle in order to develop the strength that it needed to fly so interrupting that struggle was not wise it might have been a reflection of compassion but it was it it worked against wisdom now prajna the etymology of that word pra means before and jna means knowledge so prajna means before knowledge before knowledge wow what could that mean well it means wisdom <laughs> it means some capacity to see directly into the reality of a situation rather than relying on concepts rather than relying on a lot of information you have a direct connection with what is happening at the moment so sometimes we call this intuition that is somehow we know not in the way of intellectualizing but with our whole being what is what is happening what is real sometimes like in the vipassana tradition we call it insight and often in vipassana it's called insight meditation so what are we practicing we're practicing prajna 
we're practicing intuition, we're practicing insight. Now, in both cases, intuition and insight, metaphorically speaking, have to do with seeing, insight, seeing. It's not about knowing so much. It's about seeing, like as we say, ah, I see that. I see it. Not necessarily that I comprehend it or I can explain it, but that I see it. I see it immediately. And when you see like that, when you see like that, no one can take it away from you. It cannot be argued away. No one can interfere with that. It's like, <laughs> this is, this is it. This is, I know this in my bones. I know this in my gut. I see this so clearly. So in our study group, Thich Nhat Hanh talks about this, um, as seeing deeply. We see deeply into something. So we study this book, the heart, the heart of the Buddha's teaching. And how do we study it? We study it not to really understand it so that we can explain it, or can we, we can say at a, uh, at a cocktail party or something, oh, I've read the heart of the Buddha's teaching, I know. You know, I've read Thich Nhat Hanh, and I've read, you know, this and that, this and Suzuki. And I can, I, I know Buddhism, you know, I, I mastered Buddhism. <laughs> um, no, we, we go at an excruciatingly slow pace, don't we? Why do we do that? Because we are practicing seeing deeply. It's not about finishing the book. It's not about mastering Buddhism. So we start with a paragraph, right? And we just read the paragraph and then there's silence. We're just waiting waiting to see if something's come up from that reading, if there's some question or seeing or insight, and maybe, maybe not. But then I push it a little bit. You know, nobody has anything to say. So then a question comes up. And we have an hour and a half of seeing deeply. We don't get through the paragraph we just stay with, stay with it. Stay with it and stay with it and stay with it. It's not about King Hing getting from point A to point B. And it's not about finishing the book. It's not about getting through the paragraph. It's just we stay with it. We stay with it and look, dig, dig, dig dig more and more and more 
And if you get tired digging, well, then we're going to dig some more. Now, here's a shovel. Here's a spade. Here's a, here's a fork. So this is our practice that maybe we can call it superficial understanding or superficial knowledge where you can recite something you've read or, uh, you know, this is what Buddha says about this or this is what Buddha says about that or this is what this book is about. or <clears throat> That's a kind of superficial understanding. And there's a place for that. You can Google anything and you can get a Wikipedia way of living. You can get a Wikipedia understanding. And that can be a gateway into a deeper understanding, but not to get stuck there. So instead of saying, oh, now I understand this, no, just stay with it. Keep looking at it, keep looking at it, keep looking at it until something reveals itself to you, until something captures you, until some insight so you can see so deeply that instead of your trying to explain something, something explains itself to you. So you sit here available okay, what's going to reveal itself to me today? I'm, I'm looking, I'm looking, I'm paying attention. I'm staying with it. With the confidence that if I stay with it, something's going to arise that is important, that's significant to me. Just like you know, you really can't know anybody deeply unless you put the time in, unless you stay with them. What is the marriage ceremony? For better or for worse, for richer or for poorer. You know, that's sort of our practice too. No matter what, we're staying with it. We may be restless, we may be impatient, this is, you know, we're interested in what is real, what is true. And we're not going to settle for a superficial understanding. We're, we're going to penetrate, we're going to go in, insight, intuition. So how do we do this? Well, one of the ways we do it is to practice patience, to be here being with whatever arises, staying with it, staying on our cushion. What they say the, uh, the sign of a successful sitting is not that you've somehow gotten into a zone, but that you're still on the cushion when the bell rings. <laughs> That's a successful sitting, that you stayed with it. You've stayed with it. We don't have a lot of patience in our culture. We, we're an instant gratification culture. So this is, and I see people on their cushions, you know, this, yeah, restless, and I'm restless too, because we, you know, we're, we're into productivity and 
accomplishments and this is just a waste of time and we're not doing anything so staying with something requires patience and it requires a certain stamina which is also what we're practicing not endurance but stamina and also some gumption you know enthusiasm for being truly liberated so this is true of our relationship with the world that we don't want to settle for a superficial understanding of this but we also don't want to settle for a superficial understanding of this so our practice is turning inward and staying with it with whatever arises in us and not giving up on understanding who sits here who is this and the superficial understanding of this is often expressed as and i hear this a lot of I'm I am an angry person. I am an anxious person. I am really a depressed person. It's just the way I am. I'm I'm like this. That is a very superficial understanding. It's an easy efficient way of trying to get a hold of who this is. Because if you see deeply, if you look deeply, you will discover that you are not an angry person. You are not a depressed person. You are not an angry person. or an anxious person because really there is no person there is no person underneath all of those labels so if you examine deeply who you think this person is you will discover you're completely deluded it's easy To, for example to say i am an anxious i'm an anxious person and i've always been anxious and i always will be anxious that's just who i am but if you look deeply you'll discover that what do you mean when you say anxious can you tell me what that anxiety is and if you look deeply you'll discover that 
anxiety is made up of, as Thich Nhat Hanh might say, anxiety is made up of all non-anxiety elements. Right? It's made up of fear. It's made up of a little bit of anger. It's made up of caution. It's made up of certain sensations. It's made up of certain thoughts, which differ from time to time. So this anxiety word that you identify yourself with, I'm an anxious person, just completely falls apart when you look deeply. It's just a word that is efficient, easy for you to hang on to. And it's, it's just not true when you look carefully. And that's true for any other state that you identify yourself with. I'm a generous person. Hmm. What does that mean? It probably means that I have some moments of generosity. <laughs> but generosity doesn't inhere on me as some kind of substantive feature. I have a... I did this. I gave this lawnmower to Owan. That was a generous moment. Maybe I have a lot of generous moments, but what does it mean to be a generous person? That's... You mean you're never not generous? That there are times when you are possessive? that you crave things, hold on to things, that you don't want to give things. Quite. So generosity is also made up of all non-generous things, just as a piece of paper is made of all non-paper elements. There's no such thing as a piece of paper without the whole universe. <laughs> if you see deeply, if you see superficially, you just see a piece of paper. That's why Thich Nhat, I'm referring to Thich Nhat Hanh a lot, but when he looks at a flower, he sees compost. When he sees compost, he sees a flower. So he sees deeply. He sees all the non-flower non elements in flowers and all the non-compost elements in compost. Why is it important to see deeply? Well, in our practice, it's liberating. It's joyful. It makes us happy. I was once on a bus going from New York City to State College. 
And I happened to sit next to a policeman from North Dakota. And we got to talking. And, of course, at that time I was teaching at Penn State, so we had an immediate connection with Joe Paterno. Everybody heard Joe. Even the police in North Dakota heard of Joe Paterno. So that was a good conversation starter. And so we began sharing things about our lives. And he told me he was retired. He was a retired policeman. And he said that he would be sitting in his living room. Maybe you can relate to this as a, as a retired prison guard. Um, and he could not relax. He could not watch television or have a beer or without this sense that there was some place he needed to be where, where violence was happening that he, he just could not let go of that habit energy that drew him to violent situations. He could not let go of that. It was so deeply ingrained in his sense of self that he was always wondering, where's there a crime happening? Where's there violence going on? because he had identified himself in this way and he could not let go of it. And he suffered terribly because he couldn't be anything other than this person who was a policeman, who was there to be in crime situations. This is how we imprison ourselves. We did last week. Attach attach ourselves to the door with handcuffs because we have a superficial understanding of who we are. And so how do we gain a deeper understanding so that we can truly be liberated? And unlike this policeman, can live our lives joyfully, unattached to these images, to this superficial understanding of who who we are. Well, I think all of you have a sense of how we do this because you're here. <laughs> some of you irregularly, some of you very regularly, but in some sense, each of you knows that in order to, to really have knowledge before knowledge, Instead of accumulating, our practice is letting go, eliminating. Where typically we want to accumulate more and more information, the glut of information in our culture. In our practice, we less and less know less and less so we can see more and more, so that we don't get stuck in knowledge. It's fine for certain purposes, but we can get stuck in thinking that because we've read a hundred books on Buddhism, 
and we've listened to lots of Dharma talks and podcasts and what have you, that we really see what Buddhist practice is about. That is, again, this is, take it for what it's worth, it's not Zen. In fact, it's probably going to interfere. It can be a gateway, but allow it to be a gateway into knowledge before knowledge. Because what often happens is that if you're if you are really interested in liberation, is that the more you read, the more confused you get. That would be ideal. <laughs> that is, the more you read, the more you are completely bamboozled and feel, I don't understand this. I don't understand anything. And if you read any of the sutras, it's inevitable <laughs> that that's going to happen because you cannot understand them in your ordinary way of understanding. And some people get completely frustrated and give up the entire practice. But it's exactly at that point that practice begins. When you say, I give up. <laughs> I can't understand any of this. So, maybe we should say that instead of having all the answers in our practice, we have all the questions. <laughs>